Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today, because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold, but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... What? Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So, what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So, even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22, or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Okay, uh, hello. Um, I need police and a forensics team to my address, please. What do you mean? What's happened? My friend and I got into an altercation and I'm the only one who came out alive. Are you telling me you've killed somebody? Yes, I am. Right, and who am I speaking to? My name is Lewis Baines. I'm 18 years old and I live at 12 Greylands, Rosebury Road. On February 17, 2014, Lewis Danes called 999, the emergency services number in the United Kingdom, and reported that his friend, Breck Bednar, was dead. Not because of an unfortunate accident, but because he had killed him. This is Monsters. Barry Bednar and Lauren Lafave met in Breckenridge, Colorado, and it was such a memorable place that when their first child was born on March 17, 1999, they named him Breck. He soon had triplet siblings, two sisters and a brother. By then, the couple had moved to England, and it wasn't long before Barry and Lauren were divorced. Breck was into technology from an early age. His mother said that his favorite character as a child was Bob the Builder, and he would carry his toy tools around the house, pretending to make repairs. As he grew older, he would become the one who everyone in the family would go to to fix things. Any problem they had with a computer or other electronic device, Breck was able to get it fixed and show them how to use it. The triplets absolutely adored him and would follow any advice he would give them, whether it was about computers or schoolwork. Breck attended private school up through middle school, but due to financial matters, he had to go into public school in the ninth grade. 
He loved his first school and was pretty upset about the change, but he eventually reconnected with some friends he had in primary school and they invited him to join an online gaming group. By now, Breck had become an avid gamer and he'd even built his own custom gaming computer. When friends invited him to play online, Lauren was relieved to know that he would be online with other boys he knew in person. Not only that, but Breck had joined the Air Training Corps because he dreamt of becoming a pilot. The private school that Breck had left had required he play sports, but now that he was in public school, she didn't want him sitting on the computer all the time. The Air Training Corps gave him something to do outside. After a year or so, the group of friends joined a new gaming server and the person running it was a guy named Louis Danes. Lewis told people that he was a millionaire computer programmer who was English but was currently living in New York. He claimed to have made a fortune designing software for U.S. government agencies, including the Secret Service. All of this at 17 years old. He began chatting with Breck over the game server and he easily impressed the young boy. He told him that he had made $2 million with Bitcoin and he donated it all to Syrian refugees. He gave Breck advice on how to build websites and taught him coding techniques. Lauren eventually overheard the conversations between Breck and Lewis, and to her, he clearly sounded like an adult, not one of his son's regular friends. She went into his room and asked who he was talking to, and he told her all about Lewis, how he was a rich, genius computer programmer living in New York. He told her that he was 17, but she felt like he sounded older. Still, he was all the way in New York, so she felt a little less concerned since he was so far away. Little did she know that Louis Danes was not living it up in New York. He didn't have millions of dollars and he had never designed software for the U.S. government, or any government for that matter. Louis was an only child and his parents separated when he was very young. Then his mother decided to move overseas and Louis went to live with his grandmother. Being abandoned by his parents made him retreat inside and he eventually existed mainly on the internet. In 2010, Lewis was 14 years old and he had convinced another teenager to ask his mother if he could come live with them. The boy begged, but his mother said no. Then he tried to lure another young boy to travel from the US to England, promising him a job as an administrator on his game server. Then he told the same boy that he was going to visit the U.S. and needed a place to stay. This boy also begged his parents to let Lewis stay with them, but they refused. In 2011, he successfully met a boy he had met online in real life, and the boy went on to accuse Lewis of sexually assaulting him. No charges were ever filed, though Lewis was apparently put on some sort of national watch list. He clearly wasn't watched very well. As soon as Lewis was able to move out of his grandmother's house, he did, moving into his own apartment. It's unclear where he got his money from, as he was unemployed during his interactions with Breck, but he had worked as a computer engineer at some point. It was at that apartment that he built a gaming server which he used to meet young gamers online. Lauren started noticing a change in Breck. He wanted to spend more and more time on the computer and wouldn't log off when she asked him to. Behind the scenes, it was Lewis that was telling Breck that he should be more independent. He should make his own decisions. Lewis was telling him how smart he was and how successful he could be and that his parents were just holding him back. As time went on, Lauren continued to uphold the same rules that she always had, but Lewis was getting Breck to see them as something that was impeding his success. 
Lauren would explain that almost everything that came out of Brack's mouth started with, well, Lewis says, or, well, Lewis thinks, and it was becoming clear that Lewis was someone who was anti-authority and was telling Breck things that would put a barrier between him and his family. Then Lewis started getting the younger boys to fight with each other. He would spread lies and get them mad at each other. This would cause Breck to lose his real friends, so the only person that he had that he felt was on his side was Lewis. Finally, Breck went to his mother and told her he had a letter for her to read and that it was on his computer. She went to his room and read what she described as a two-page manifesto about what Breck would and wouldn't do anymore. In it, he threatened to run away if she didn't give him more freedom. He claimed that Lewis was going to get him an apprenticeship at Microsoft when he was 16 and there was nothing she could do to stop him. That was something that would seem understandable if the idea of him getting an apprenticeship had ever been discussed, but she said it hadn't. Lauren said she had never said anything about trying to stop her son from getting an apprenticeship at Microsoft. It was a letter that didn't sound anything like Breck, and when she printed it out, she found out why. On the page was noted, quote, written by Lewis, edited by Lewis. The entire letter had come from Lewis. Lauren was very concerned with what was happening with Breck, and she tried to get help from a number of places. She spoke to his school, she spoke to his tutor, and she talked to other adults about what she should do. She was literally telling them that she thought he was being groomed, but nobody seemed concerned. She was shrugged off by some people, saying, eh, he'll grow out of it. Then she went to the police, and they did absolutely nothing. She gave all of the information she had about Louis Danes to the police, and she was assured not once, but three times, that they were going to look into his background. They didn't. If they had, they would have seen that he was in a database for luring a young boy to his home and allegedly sexually assaulting him. It turns out that the police looked at the information and closed the case within hours of Lauren contacting them. Lauren was absolutely correct, and what Louis was doing was grooming. Now, this is different than someone in the bathroom brushing their hair or plucking their eyebrows. Grooming by a predator is when they build a relationship with someone, manipulating them to get them to do what they want. The predator could be grooming them for sexual abuse, trafficking, or even participating in crime or terrorism. Lauren didn't know what Lewis was grooming Breck for, but she was sure that it was happening. After contacting the police, Lauren grounded Breck from electronics for a week and then called some of the other parents and talked to them about Lewis. The other parents were initially not concerned with Lewis since some of the kids had been playing online with him for four years. It turned out that none of them knew that he had claimed to be a millionaire who was living in New York and working for the U.S. government. She repeated the story that Breck had told her about the time when Lewis was on Air Force One with President Obama frantically working to save the computers. It seems that their kids hadn't been so open with Lewis's tall tales, and once the other parents heard the stories, they were definitely also concerned. They had a meeting with the group of boys who were gaming together, where they explained that they were not comfortable with Lewis. They offered to meet him somewhere just to get to know him, but the boys said he would refuse to meet any parents, because that's not a red flag. They said that he believed that all parents were against him. Again, huge red flag. There must be a reason all parents are against you. As a parent, I feel like the only reason I and the other parents I know would all be against the same person was because they kept doing something wrong. 
The parents then told the boys that if they weren't able to meet Lewis, then they weren't allowed to associate with him online. The boys agreed to play on a different friend's server, and the parents thought that they had solved the problem. While Breck was grounded from his devices, he still had access to an MP3 player and was able to record the meeting. He sent the audio to Lewis, and the entire group just took their interactions with him underground. Over the next month, Lauren said that her relationship with her son went back to normal, and she never heard him talking to anyone online that could have been Lewis. No new names, and no one that sounded like Lewis. At the beginning of February 2014, Breck went on a school trip to Spain. While there, he was with a group of other students in person, and he ended up meeting a girl he really liked, and they posted a picture together on Facebook. It turned out that he was too busy to do much communicating with Lewis. This did not make Lewis happy. Investigators would later find a steady stream of angry messages from Lewis to Breck, asking why he wasn't answering him and telling him he should be studying. He had sent Breck a bunch of coding work to study while he was on his trip. This was an attempt to alienate Breck from the other friends, making him too busy to participate, but it didn't work. Breck enjoyed hanging out with his friends in Spain and didn't do the studying. When he returned from Spain, Lewis sent him angry messages demanding he take down the picture of him and the girl on Facebook. Lewis said that she looked like a slut and people would think that he slept with her. His jealousy was through the roof. The day before Breck returned from Spain, Lauren had to go out of town for a teaching event and her ex-husband, the children's father, stayed at their house with the triplets. He picked up Breck from school when he returned from his trip. The day after Breck returned from Spain, he told his father that he was going to a friend's house. Later that day, he texted and asked him if he could stay the night. Barry agreed but told him to be home by 10 a.m. because he needed to leave for a work meeting. Breck said no problem, and that would be the last time anyone would ever hear from him. It turned out that Lewis had told Breck that he had moved back to England. Of course, he was never away from England. He had always lived in an apartment in Gray's Essex the entire time he had been talking to Breck. He told Breck that he was terminally ill and promised him that he would hand over his business. Breck would soon be running his company, making millions of dollars. He paid to have a taxi pick Breck up and make the hour drive. Again, it's never been clear where Lewis was getting his money, but it's reported that the cab ride would have cost over $100. When Lauren took away Breck's phone, Lewis bought a new phone and sent it to him so he could continue manipulating him. He also went online and purchased a knife, duct tape, and condoms about a month before Breck visited. It was clear that Lewis was planning in advance to sexually assault and kill Breck. When Breck didn't return home at 10 o'clock the next day, Barry texted and called and got no response. He called Lauren to let her know that Breck was MIA. He had called the friend's house and found out that his son had never been there. At the same time, Lewis had called 999 to report the death of Breck Bedner. He calmly told the dispatcher that he and his friend had gotten into a fight and he was the only one who came out alive. He explained that Breck had come over the night before because he was upset about his home life. He came to stay with me because he was feeling down. I tried What's my his name? Breck. B-R-E-C-K. Bednar. B-E-D-N-E-R. Sorry. Uh, B-R-E-C-K. Breck. Yes. And then his surname is? Bednar. B-E-D-N-E-R. Okay, so he came to stay with you. He came to stay with me the night I did my best to 
comfort him. I woke up this morning. He was in a mess. I tried again. Right, just slow down again, Lewis. I need to take these deep. So did you have an argument with him last night? No, we were fine. We were fine. Okay, but what, why did he come to stay with you? Because he was fed up with his home life. Right, because he was fed up with his home he's life. Got, look, he's had a lot of problems. I've known him for a long time. He came to stay with me. I was in Thailand last week on holiday. He was in Spain on right, holiday. Right, okay, okay, okay. Got back. So um, you both went to bed, and then what's happened this morning? I woke up. He was just standing up. He was in a mess, hands on his face. I got up. I put my arms around him, and I said it was okay. He just shrugged me off and said no. Some, I can't remember exactly what he said. He, he was going on about how he didn't want to go home. He was fed up with his life, and he, he didn't want to go. None of that was true. Breck may not have been happy that his mother wasn't allowing him to be friends with Lewis, but nobody who knew him saw any signs of him being depressed or being, quote, in a mess. He was there because Lewis had promised to give him his company. Then he told the dispatcher how he killed him. I have a penknife on the side of, sorry, in my room, adjacent to my bed. I have a, a chest of drawers. After shaving the TV and stuff on there, I had a penknife on there, folded. He picked it up, opened it, and then lost control. I slow down. Let me just let me just take those details here. Penknife on the bedside table. Brett grabbed this. Yeah. What in order to harm himself? No, in order to harm me. He opened it and right, then lost okay. control. To harm and opened it. Um, states he lost control. I, yep. in self-defense, put my left arm up to block him from stabbing me effectively. We struggled, I got him to the ground, he got up, I got the knife. Can, okay. you, can you not interrupt me with this part? Okay, go on. Okay, this is being recorded anyway, isn't it? Yep. I grabbed the knife and I stabbed him once in the back of the neck, I believe somewhere near the brainstem. He turned around, tried to carry it on and I, I think I stumbled on my chest of drawers, I fell over, I got back up, backed away and then I, I don't remember exactly what happened but the fight ended with me cutting his throat. I believe I turned around and I slashed his throat. He just nonchalantly says he stabbed him near the brainstem, then he cut his throat. When authorities arrived, they found Breck lying on the bed, bleeding profusely from the neck. He didn't survive his wounds. Lauren got a call at her hotel informing her that Breck had been murdered by Lewis. Lewis's story didn't match what police found, and authorities were immediately suspicious. Breck was on the bed, but he was restrained with duct tape. They also found Breck's clothes in a garbage bag inside the apartment. That's an odd place for your friend's clothes to be. Then they found a bunch of computer components sitting in a sink full of water. Lewis clearly believed that this would destroy the components and erase evidence. They were parts of Breck's computer that Lewis had told him to bring with him. The police computer forensics department was able to recover the information on the hard drive and they were able to see the past year's worth of messages between Lewis and Breck. They saw all of the lies that Lewis had told in order to groom Breck. 
They also found that Lewis had taken pictures of Breck's dead body and sent them to two other members of the gaming group. He was bragging about what he had done. An autopsy would reveal that Breck had been sexually assaulted. When he was interrogated, he refused to answer any questions about why the crime scene didn't match his story. He also refused to give any passwords to his own encrypted computer. He did try to claim that terrorists burst into his apartment and forced Breck to kill himself, but at this point it was clear that anything that came out of Lewis's mouth was going to be a lie. The day before his trial was supposed to start, 19-year-old Lewis Danes pleaded guilty to the premeditated murder of Breck Bednar and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 25 years. If you have children who are online and want to know more about grooming, you can find more information at the Breck Foundation. Go to breckfoundation.org where there are resources for children, parents, and schools. Children are common targets of online grooming, but it can happen to anyone. Be vigilant with anyone you don't actually know online. Louis Danes spent his life bitter about being abandoned by his own family. He was likely jealous of anyone who had a good home life with parents who were there for them, so he pulled them into his fantasy world where he could convince them that he was better for them than their parents were. Then he used that vulnerability to lure in an innocent teenager and murder him like a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.